Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome to Hope and Patience. It's me, Amelia Rope, the podcast creator and your host. If you're new to Hope and Patience, thank you for tuning in. Every episode, I'll be joined by inspirational souls who will share their stories and precious insights. You'll find the podcast is an exploration. It's about discovery. It's about finding balance between running a business and remembering your well-being. And now, Harriet Hastings from The Biscuiteers. Harriet is a remarkable woman, as you're about to find out, and it's a real treat to have her with us on Hope and Patience today. She is most definitely a doer and a multitasker, co-founder with her husband, Stevie, managing director of the stunning Hand Ice Biscuit gifting company, Biscuiteers, co-director of the catering company, Lettuce, managing director of the Women's Prize for Fiction, and she's an author, and add to the mix, she's a mother of four too. Would you share with us where it all began and why biscuits and whether you had a, a backstory of self-starters in your family? Well, I suppose it was my husband in a sense who was the self-starter because he started lettuce. Um, I mean, many, many years ago, he's been he's had lettuce for sort of 30 years, um, which is now, in fact, run by my daughter, interestingly, so it's been passed on. Um but I, what happened with me was that I had four children and I was doing quite a sort of big job in marketing and PR. And I just decided a bit like your intro that I, I wanted a bit more control over my life and just to sort of rethink. Um, so I gave up that job and and then I just had this idea really because Stevie was obviously working in the kind of uh, food and hospitality sort of area. And I just saw this real opportunity in food gifting. And it was that idea and then out of that, I just sort of started to think, well, what could I come up with, which would be a more interesting, more personalised, more kind of exciting way to gift. And that's sort of how it started. So it was quite strategically set up. It was planned. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, most people say to me, oh, you know, you must have been a great baker and you love baking. And I, I guess that's what people want to hear. That That's not really. And, and actually, sometimes I find that quite a misogynistic approach. I feel that they wouldn't ask a man the same question. Um I, you know, I was a businesswoman, really, and I, I could see that there was this kind of explosion in the food gifting sector, or potentially there was. Um, and I wanted to sort of work out how I could come up with something which would be a, a genuine alternative to um, chocolates and flowers. And back in 2007, when you set up, the landscape for women in business was was definitely different from it is now. Did you find it challenging with funding or getting support or with having your husband as, as co-founder? Did it sort of do the yin and yang bit? Um, well, what I did, and I guess this is my advantage, because we sort of incubated it out of lettuce. So we already had um, kitchens, commercial kitchens. Um, and so I sort of was able to kind of experiment initially. I mean, there was some investment, um, in packaging and brand and and those kind of areas, but 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 relatively we did it ourselves. So we didn't do it initially with outside investment. So I didn't really have to confront. And actually, looking back on it, I think I was just sort of blindly positive about it. You know, I mean, I, when I thought about it afterwards, I thought, goodness, you know, if it hadn't worked, that would have been quite a quite a thing. You know, because we were self financing it. Yes, um, quite. It's a, it's a big commitment, especially big with commitment. all your children. But why, um, I used to get asked when I was running my chocolate business of why chocolate, why biscuits? 
I wanted it also to be a design business, um, which it is, because I, I saw that there was also an opportunity in the corporate commercial world for sort of branded uh, gifting. And I mean, it was just it was just a happy accident, really. We were in New York and I saw some iced biscuits in a bakery in New York and I just went, oh, my God, that, you know, that would that's exactly what I'm looking for. Something that, um, you know, biscuits are just brilliant. They have long shelf life. You can post them. And in design terms, they're just kind of they're limitless, really. And they are as a little sort of side thing that you've got. If you haven't seen the Biscuiteers website, you really must see it. It's one numerous awards as has Harriet I forgot to put that in the intro but Harriet has won incredible awards one of them was the every woman award the Aphrodite award Award, that's right yeah 2018 um so with your business I I came across a lot of challenges in my business but the first thing that that raises its head to me is how how do you get so many people hand icing all these biscuits you know how does it, how does it work manpower wise staffing wise um well it's very different now to to how it was when we started um i mean it is it is the it is the challenge of the business um which is that in a sense what we're doing is we're scaling a business that is essentially artisanal and i think a lot of people were skeptical about our ability to scale that but we've really developed our own manufacturing techniques um as we've gone along, I mean, we've literally designed the equipment, you know, we've worked out how you do it because, you know, we hand ice probably over 2 million biscuits a year now. Wow. So, you know, inevitably, and and actually recently we've moved, which has made just the most extraordinary difference. And it's taken us 12 years to get there, but we've moved into a sort of purpose, you know, built sort of branded um, production space in Wimbledon now. So, and that's that, and that means that I, for the first time, I've got everybody who works in the business in one place. And that's just been a, a transformational that experience. That must help a lot with logistics. Yeah. So that's where you would do online everything, warehouse fulfillment, the works. Everything and, and sales, marketing, yeah. you know, the whole piece. It's all in one place now. How many have, people do you have working for you? Uh, it slightly varies at time of year, somewhere between 130, 150. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, to me, I just sort of see PAYE and I see, you know, employers costs and, yeah, yeah. and, and everything. I mean, it's a massive responsibility. It is a, a big responsibility, and I and I think it's you know one of the things I think is quite important is not to try not to get sort of overwhelmed by that, and um, you know so I don't. Oddly, when we moved into this one space, um, I did actually think about it a bit more because when everybody worked in sort of four different places, I didn't I didn't actually see everybody together, so I didn't really have to confront that, and then I was like, oh my god, this is really quite serious now. It certainly is. So was it challenging setting up the new, um, what, what do you call it? Would, is it? would you call it a production unit or because it's we actually it's call it the ministry. We actually call it the Ministry of Biscuits. Ministry of Biscuits. <laughs> so, how, you know, to get all the right equipment, because presumably you need really, you've got artisanal equipment in a way, but you're you're doing a large scale. Is that? Yes. I mean, it's, you know, there are different parts of the business, obviously, as a sort of bakery side um, and, you know, cutting side and that, that sort of thing. And then there is the icing part of it. Um, but there are, you know, it is in the end, it's about, you know, at, at Christmas, we'll, I think we've probably had 70 or 80 ices working full time. So it, it is, it is sort of, you know, one side of the year. Christmas is a big thing for us. Is so, that, what do you, what do you find the most sort of challenging aspect of it? Or is it too difficult to say it's one thing? I mean, I think those challenges tr- change as you go through your kind of business cycle and as your business gets bigger. 
Um, and I would certainly say that for most businesses, that high growth businesses, cash is always the thing that you have to be most worried about. Um, but you did a, a fundraising uh, on crowdfunding, didn't you? Recently? Yeah, no, that was a few years ago. Yeah. We, uh, that was the first time we'd raised any cash for the business. And we chose to do it through a crowdfunding campaign. And that was quite a transitional moment as well. I think bringing in external investors into the business, um, it was good. It, it created a kind of focus for what we were doing and, and, and a sort of increased structure. Um, and also brought people into the business who have been immensely helpful. I mean, you can't do this on your own. I think that's probably uh, what I'd say. I mean, both in terms of you need a fantastic team of people to work with, but you also need the right advice at the right time, depending on where you are in your kind of business cycle. So what do you think your your most memorable, because the, the, the podcast is about looking at challenges and how founders cope with them. What do you think the most memorable challenge has been and what have you learned from it that you would do differently now one I mean one that springs to mind that started very early on was that we created this concept for this business we designed the products we put up a website we promoted it and the order started to come in actually because we were the first business um in the UK to ever do anything like this so we had all the first mover advantage anyway we started sending out the biscuits and basically they all broke. <laughs> oh, no. And it became clear that our packaging solution was uh, not, you know, and I was and I literally went, oh, my God, you know, this might mean that I haven't got a business. My entire business idea is based on being able to. It's a gifting business. It's all about getting gifts to people on the right day at the right time. And anyway, we so, we it was actually we solved that problem. Um, and we, in fact, now what we do is the, the biscuits are actually sort of glued into the down with the icing. So they're actually positioned in the so they don't move in the tins. Oh, that's really clever. Uh, so now it's a it's a, it's a very small problem uh, and not if a problem at all, really. Um, but that was a kind of moment where you go, oh, my goodness, I didn't we would never do that now. We did not test the We did not test this in the way that we should have done before we launched it. We just jumped straight in. But but, you know, even even with that experience, I'm still not sure that isn't the right thing to do when you start businesses. I mean, starting businesses is absolutely about jumping in and finding out what works and what doesn't work. And it's when you've got a model that you're confident of and you've got a market, that's when you can actually, you know, put your foot on the accelerator. Yeah, I think people have just got to dive in. I mean, otherwise you could hang around for ages and mm. never get anywhere. And you just, I think you learn on the on the hoof as, as mm. such. So what do you think now the greatest challenge is potentially sort of with your business, but also in business as a whole for people starting up, what do you think the greatest challenge is from, from now we're to 2020 and you set up in 2007? So it's a massive change we've been through. I think it's quite a difficult question because I think the challenges of businesses are very, very depending on, the, you know, I mean, I started a consumer business and a manufacturing business, which I would say was a combination of some of the most difficult types of businesses you can start. So... I think when I when I look back, you know, the I will probably be proudest of having set up a manufacturing business. You know, that has been a really interesting thing, and that's where my husband's been enormously helpful because I'm really a sales and marketeer. That's 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 me, and you know, I do the production, the sales, the marketing. Um, but that is it is a, a logistically huge thing, you know, to be to be running something on that scale. But also very interesting actually because you you know as I said, we do do all our own fulfillment. We, we you know we make everything that we sell more or less. Um, we design everything that we sell. So it's really, is a, it's, a, it's a rounded business in the whole. You know, we're seeing it from kind of beginning to end. And I have found that very, um, you know, it's been a really interesting 
experience. Is it um, having your husband as co-founder and obviously living with and everything else, is that a challenge in itself that you're sort of 24-hour partners? Uh, Yeah, I think it is a challenge, actually. I'm always amazed because, I mean, you know, there are plenty of other kind of husband and wife um, couples who run businesses and they all say, oh, it's amazing. And, you know, we have we're we're really disciplined. And when we go home, we don't talk about the business. And I'm like, God, I have no idea how you do that. I mean, we have no discipline (laughs) and that's part of the problem. So, you know, if we're on a car journey or whatever and we start talking about the business and, you know, and it's and it is quite unhealthy sometimes because he also runs his own business. Um, I'm running a bit, you know, I'm running a business and it has it sort of absorbed our family life at times, perhaps more than it should have done. But equally, it's given me enormous amounts of flexibility in the way that I live my life and run my working life. And how old are your children? I mean, uh, well, they're much when I started it, they were they were quite small. But now the youngest is 15 and the oldest, um, the one who's actually working um, in my husband's business is 27. Wow. Yeah. So do, do you find that one of you is an optimist and one of you is a pessimist? Do you do, or Yes. <laughs> uh, we have very different approaches. And the way we deal with that is that we do different, you know, we try and what we do do is separate our roles in the business quite clearly. Um, and I am uh, an optimist and I think you have to be, you have to believe, you have to keep believing all the time in, in both in your product and your market and it's going to work and, you know, and... Um, He's probably more cautious, but that's quite a good uh, balance, I think. Really good balance. So we are going to actually before we're going to have our little chocolate break, uh, which I can't wait for. <laughs> that is sort of itching to open the chocolate. Have you got a tip for our listeners, um, maybe about coping with challenges and and how to address them? I mean, I think it's really important to be very decisive in businesses, and almost the worst thing you can do is you know sit on the fence you know I mean that's what entrepreneurs are I often think there are people who have to make lots of decisions all the time and be prepared to back their decisions um and I think therefore I I tend to sort of you know step back into okay you know you know let's weigh the option be very logical about it you know on balance this should work out you know and, and I find that's quite a useful way to take the emotion out because it can be very emotional as well the whole the whole thing is a, is a very emotional journey you know Craig starting your own business you're creating something that you you know it's your own thing it's like a, it's like a, another child you know sometimes to some people and you have to be quite careful and I think particularly as your business gets bigger you have to learn how to manage that a bit that's a very good insight for us all to to learn from so it's time for the chocolate break which is the most exciting bit and Harriet's pick of chocolate is something that I haven't tried before actually it's the Lint Lindor milk chocolate bar and I was just doing a bit of exploration on Lindor and apparently it means a sweet gold and the door is the French for the gold. Um, what is quite interesting for anyone listening who isn't into chocolate, you do, you do chocolate in your business as well, don't you? We know? do, actually. Yeah. We, we ice chocolates, yes. Ice chocolates, there you go. Um, is that Rudolph and August Lint were the people who created the melt-in-the-mouth sensation with chocolate by creating the process of conching. That's just a little chocolate fact for you. So what I'd like to know, Harriet, is why we are allowed to be tucking into this. What What is the connection with you and this bar of chocolate? Well, when I was a child, um, 
and my mother used to put a bar of this chocolate in my stocking every year and it was a huge sort of luxury and I know that the sort of Lindor balls are sort of in every petrol station now and seem very ubiquitous but at the time as far as I can remember it this was um, a little bit of you know melt in the mouth luxury at Christmas so and it always reminds me of her so that's why I like it. That's a wonderful story and this is very sweet isn't it? Real little fix. It's nice mm -hmm. for first thing in the morning. Just a couple of um, words that I find that are used a lot, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on them. What do you think defines an entrepreneur or a small business owner or just a startup founder? Well, I suppose I think one of the most important things about being an entrepreneur is, by definition, is that you're looking to do things a bit differently. So I think that should almost be like the default setting. You know, an, an entrepreneur, in a, in a sense, is a bit of a disruptor. You know, whether they go into an existing business or they create a new concept for a business, that, that seems to be the, the thing that often defines successful entrepreneurs, that they find a, a better way of doing it, a new way of doing it. So, and I think that sort of challenging thinking is something that can really help you in your business. So not thinking, what's, you know, what's the way this has been done before, but thinking, could I do this a bit better? Could I find another way to you know, approach this. And I think if you can kind of train yourself into that kind of entrepreneurial challenging thinking, it's a really useful skill. It's fresh thinking, isn't it? The um, One of the people I love, in fact, the book that I'm recommending um, at the end of this show is by Arianna Huffington. And um, she talks about her collapse, her physical collapse in her business or a physical collapse mm. herself in 2007. And she said that it made her question success and the meaning of success. What does success mean to you? I, I think success has to be, a, a, you know, for me, it's, it is a, a sort of broader um, I mean, it's much broader than the success of my business. I mean, in terms of my business, what I want is I want a happy place that people enjoy working in. And I and also I want to create a, a brand that has some kind of legacy. I mean, I you know, that, those are the interesting things, the things that interest me about it. But I think success, I mean, is sort of not meaningful unless you can balance that with, it, you know, success and balance in other parts of your life. And the word failure is, I hate the word failure because it makes you think of school because I used to fail my exams. It's like failed, failed, failed. But how do you perceive failure? And do you see an optimistic side of failure? I think that fear of failure is a driver for me, to be, if I'm honest. Um, and, I, and I think quite often it is. And that's quite a, it keeps you, and also I find it quite helpful <laughs> in a way because Actually, what you also can, I very strongly feel is that you can't f afford to be complacent. I'm never complacent that my business will continue to grow, that, you know, that it will, people will love it as much as they did, you know, that you've got to keep working at it. And I think you've got to keep working at your product. You've got to keep working at your marketing, got to keep working. And I think you need that kind of constant drive and fear of failure is quite often a sort of useful, you know, I can't. <laughs> um, kick up the backside. Yeah, kick up the backside for me, you <laughs> yeah. know. So I think it, people approach it in kind of, you know, different ways. Having said that, I'm, I equally believe that to fail in small ways in business is obviously not your business to fail, but it's much better to fail and learn. It's much better to take a decision than not take a decision at all is yeah. really what I mean. So obviously within a business, there's sort of small failures as you go along. 
but hopefully those are things that you know make you stronger so moving on to um, my image of interviewing people is like a sandwich, I suppose, because I'm a foodie. So I see bread, filling, bread. So the final bit of bread in this is to look at the vital area that we require to thrive, which is the well-being side of things. Because I certainly found when I was running my business, at times I, I took my foot off that pedal and it really affected me. So I wanted to know if you were happy to share with the listeners how stress can affect you. Um, it makes me irritable is how it affects me and impatient. And I, but I'm sort of aware of that a bit more. I try to be a bit more aware of it. And I wouldn't say that you sort of totally succeed. I think that, you know, exercise things are really important. I think just, you know, trying to do that, you know, even if it's, you know, going for a walk or, you know, going for a swim or, you know, I, I mean, I, I bicycle to work, which I find, unless it's absolutely boring with rain, um, which I find really helpful because actually it's just being outside and being active before you come into work and after you leave is a good kind of, you know. Um, so the wellbeing bumper. side is, is important to you. Yeah. And I think I don't take it so much for granted now, now that you get older, I don't take it so, you know, for granted that you have to put more effort into doing that. So I do actually put quite a lot of effort into it. I know it. that is the real shame. When you're young, <laughs> yeah. you just don't, you don't realise I didn't realize I did anything it. in my 30s at all, oh. actually. <laughs> and now it's like, right, I've got to exercise, I've got to drink loads of water, I've got to eat really healthily, I've got to, because it's that thing where you just, I think you, as you get older, you want to live longer. Yeah, in a way. Have you seen this, this that bossy app that people have on their computers telling them to jump up and run around the <laughs> desk and drink a glass of water? It's like, <laughs> I, I haven't, but perhaps that's what I should have. I'm finding, though, that with my new lifestyle as, as doing the podcast is that it's really sedentary. And I'm a I'm fidgety, you know, I like moving yeah. around. And so I've bought myself some weights that I sit at my desk working out so um, to try and, try and do some form of exercise. What won't you compromise to maintain your well-being? What would you you absolutely say no I've got to go on my bike or no I've got to go for a walk or I've got to go for a swim uh fun enough my biggest uh, my biggest thing I won't compromise is actually I uh, what I try and remember is that I started my own business very much for that flexible I want to spend time with my family reasons and I still have a daughter who is still school age and has you know some holidays and you know and we spend quite a lot of our time in Suffolk so I do, so for instance, in some holidays, I move my office base to Suffolk. I mean, I, mean, I do come back to London, but, but I, I sort of change. And I, even though as the business has got busier and I've got, and it's got bigger and I sort of feel the benefits happily of sort of Skype and things just about make it possible. But I really hang on to that because I just feel, well, that's why I did it. I mean, that's why, you know, running your own businesses can be quite challenging. So the fringe benefits are supposed to be that you can actually work flexibly and make it work for you. So I've really tried to hang on to that and that's an area I don't compromise on very much. And do you have a little daily ritual for your well-being at all? Well, I suppose my when I'm biking, I listen with one headphone in. So mm, every day I'm not just one. <laughs> <laughs> one headphone, because I can hear out the other ear. <laughs> I, I listen to loads of podcasts and, um, you know, I like, I like spe you know, speech, you know, a bit of Radio 4, a bit of podcasts. I listen to that. Okay, so that leads me on to, <laughs> to one more question in, the, on, in this sort of area, which is this the digital overload, the constant thing of, you know, the phone and, 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 and computers, laptops, everything going TV. Do you, a question that I'm intrigued by is, do you switch your phone off at night when you go to sleep? 
No, I don't. But I don't look at it. I mean, I read a lot. I mean, actually, I didn't mention that, but you you said earlier, I, I'm also the managing director of the Women's Prize, which is something I've done for 25 years. Um, and so, I've, so I've, I do read a lot and I find reading probably the most important mental switch off. Um, so I read most nights before I sleep. And, I, and for you me, read a physical book? I read, a, yeah, I, I do sometimes read Kindles, but mostly I read physical books because I prefer them. Um, but for me, the imaginative life, I read a lot of fiction, um, and that sort of reading life is probably the most important way in which I, you know, switch into other things. I think it's quite important not to go, I mean, I do not want to go to sleep thinking about my day-to-day, you know, business biscuits. problems, biscuits, yeah. <laughs> so, Harriet, if there's a, um, a book that you could recommend our listeners, what book would you pick? I've got a lot of favourite books, so I find that, quite, I always find this a really difficult question, but one set of books that I have gone back to and I've read at different stages of my life and got different things out of them are um, Elizabeth Jane Howard's Cazalet Chronicles. I think she's a great writer and I read them when I was very young and I was basically, basically um, at that time I was relating I think to the younger characters in the book and then I read them much later, you know, 20 years later and I found that I read the books in a completely different way and saw it very much from the perspective of the sort of older characters in the book. And I think that's just the sign of a really good book, when you can revisit it at different times in your life and get different things out of it. Do you have a favourite hideaway? I know people are reluctant to share their hideaways in case everybody rushes off there and the hideaway disappears. But do you have a favourite hideaway where you would go to or you and your family would go to? Or Yeah, I mean, we, and it is very much, it's more than a, for me, it's more of more than a geographical space. It's an emotional space. Um, which is we've had a house in North Suffolk for a, a very long time now, and we go there at weekends and we go there on holidays. And and I think it's when I say it's an emotional space, it's because it was very much where I feel I brought up my children. You know, when when we're in London, everybody's at school and at work and rushing around. And so because we were always sort of on holiday or on weekends, it just became a really important place for all of us. It's quite nice. My more grown up children come back now for weekends, and you know they bring their friends. I feel that I feel different when I'm there. I feel like I sort of just, you know, I just my life just goes down a couple of notches, um, and I find that really helpful. You can recharge. So, would you share with our listeners? There's a bit of sharing coming. Uh, one time where you've had to have dollop loads of hope. Yeah, I mean, I did have um, a situation um, oddly around the time that I was starting the business where one of my children was very unwell for quite a protracted period of time, and that was very difficult, obviously. But I think also what I learned out of that experience is that, you know, your your role in that, I guess, is to be, you know, determinedly to take your child through that experience as much as you can and to always be sort of optimistic and hopeful and on the front foot. And, you know, also, I think that, you know, in a way, running a business just requires an enormous amount of conviction um, because you have to sort of inspire that conviction in all the people around you, you know, so that's quite an important part of it. You've been absolutely amazing, Harriet. Before you go, though, do you have any new collections? You know, where can we buy your hand ice biscuits? They are just so divine. So, Well, I mean, we sell biscuiteers.com, uh, open 24 hours a day. Um, we also have two um, icing cafes in London, one in Notting Hill and one in Northcote Road, where you can not only buy the biscuits, you can learn to ice the biscuits. Oh, I think I have well. to book in. And um, and then we are also, you'll find us in sort of, um, you know, some of the big 
department stores, you know, Selfridges, Harvey Nichols, those sort of places as well. I mean, we are now because it's, well, it's nearly Valentine's Day. So our Valentine's collection uh, is available. And then after that, one of our biggest occasions actually um, is Mother's Day. Um, so it's, it's actually the second biggest occasion after Christmas. Is it? Mm. Interesting. But you can buy Harriet's yummy biscuits any time of the year and gift like crazy. Anyway, thank you, Harriet, so, so much for being my second guest. I have really enjoyed myself. It's been the most superb interview. You've shared so much. It means a lot to me. So um, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, I nearly forgot book recommendation and the quote at the end of the show. So my book recommendation is Arianna Huffington's Thrive. It's just the most incredible book. And when I was going through quite a challenging time in my business, I found it really helped me. It helped me in the way of being grateful for things and writing down 10 things at the end of my day that I felt grateful for. And it made me... Um, listen to birds singing and look at the sky and, and and it gave me a bit of zest so I'd really recommend it. The quote is going to come out of the book and it's a quote from a guy called Ian Thomas. I have to say I don't know who Ian Thomas is but anyway here we go. And every day the world will drag you by the hand yelling this is important and this is important and this is important. You need to worry about this and this and this. And each day, it's up to you to yank your hand back, put it on your heart and say, no, this is what's important. In the book, you will find, uh, as I think I've mentioned in the podcast, actually, but um, Ariana really had to rethink her life when on the morning of April the 6th, 2007, she was lying on the floor of her home office in a pool of blood. And that made her really, re, you know, sort of reassess her life. So do read it. It's a phenomenal book. Um, and it's something that sits in my bookshelf and gets pulled down when I need it. And finally, I was thinking this week about the word drivers and what makes us want to do our own gig or think about doing our own gig. And some people's drivers are massive, life-changing. Others are, are gentler. I know that when I set up my chocolate business in 2007, one of the drivers to do it was that I had been trained as a PA. That was my sort of qualification. And I adore my father, who I hope will be tuning in and listening, but I really needed to prove to him that I was capable of doing something. I was capable of potentially earning a good salary. Well, okay, but just that I could... I could be who I wanted to be. So that that was a major driver. And now my driver has changed because I've evolved out of chocolate and I've set up the podcast business. And my driver is more about creating a community where we can care and share because I don't have that personal driver. I don't have that thing gnawing at me because I've done it. I've proved to him, I proved to myself that I could do it. So I would love to hear about your drivers and what really is the reason why you're setting up your own gig or why you set up your own gig. I know that reading in a paper this week, they say the driver for women to set up their own gig is to choose the work that they want to do and also for a better work-life balance. And for guys, they were saying that they were motivated by a prospect of earning more and choosing the work. But do you think they are the drivers? So just ping me an email via the website and let's get a discussion going and, and maybe we can talk about it in one of the shows with a guest. Mm. 
Thank you again so much to Harriet for joining me and to you, the listener, for finding us. I'll be back with another story soon, so make sure you subscribe to get the latest episode. And if you like what you hear, feel free to give us a positive rating and spread the word. I would also love to know what you'd like to hear more of, less of, and importantly to none of. Just let me know via the website. So until next time, keep that sparkle. Bye. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk or find Amelia on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hope and Pat.